Welcome to the Joy Venture Podcast. I'm Thad Devassi, co-founder of Joy Venture and host for this episode where we're speaking with Jeremy Slagle, principal of Slagle Design. Jeremy is an illustrator, graphic designer, and photographer. He's the first to tell you that his greatest joy is helping small business owners and nonprofits create a distinctive advantage through design. He's also a great friend, a trusted colleague, and my co-founder in Joy Venture. And he'll be talking more about that later in the podcast. Jeremy's story is unconventional, not because of the crazy ride he went on to find his joy, but rather how he found it so early in life and went about developing it in ways that we are told and believe are not possible. So let's get to it. Jeremy, let's, let's talk about your, your, your path and how you got here to be the principal of your own design firm. Um, but before we get to that point, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how art and design influenced you as a kid. How did you know this was something that, I don't know, was at the core of your being, that, that gave you joy or purpose? I started out when I was very young. My mom was always, she always really loved to do art. And when she was young, was something that, you know, her dad wasn't real keen about. He didn't really encourage her to do it much. And I think as soon as she found out that she had a son that was interested in art, she really, help foster that in me. So just from the earliest age, the minute I could pick up anything that I could draw with, I would draw. And um, it's probably what got me the most in trouble in middle school, drawing in the notes. And it's just something that's just been a part of who I am. I've just always loved draw. So drawing, you know, we, as kids, we all draw, you know, something, you know, we, whether we start with a crayon or we, pens or pencils what was it about that experience that that stayed with you I think we all have those creative moments when we're kids when when we have that sort of unbridled enthusiasm and creativity that wonder right how did you not lose that I think the fact that I was super unpopular helped a lot because there really wasn't anything I could have done uh, to to um, climb the social ladder at all. So I, I don't know if maybe I was just oblivious to the social ladder, but I know that's one of the biggest reasons kids at a young age stop drawing. They hear one person. It can be a teacher. It can be a parent. It can be a, a classmate or anybody criticize what they're doing, and all of a sudden it's done. They're just done doing it. I was one of those kids that didn't really care what other kids thought much and my mom really encouraged me really encouraged me and then when I got into you know art classes in elementary school and middle school I had teachers that really encouraged me too so I think that's probably the biggest reason honestly so so I think that you know we all take art as a kid in elementary school or whatever but there, there comes that point in our education in our schooling where art 
goes from being something that we all do to being the elective. And when art gets confined to the table of electives, we move away from it, right? What made you stick with it? And in particular, you know, you're someone whose art has been a part of your life from the very beginning. There had to be valleys here where it was more challenging that you're doing the elective when you should maybe be doing other things. Talk about that. Yeah. uh, So both my parents were very involved with physical education. So both my parents taught PE at different times growing up, which is sometimes I think even considered lower than an elective when you consider, you know, what people consider legitimate classes when you get into high school. Um, there's, there's obviously there's the main important reading, writing, math, uh, sciences, and all that stuff. And then as you kind of go down the rungs of importance, PE shows up kind of close to the bottom. And I think from a young age, it was instilled to me that it was important that you had a very well-rounded education. I mean, my parents, my dad was a basketball coach and a PE teacher. He, he taught government and, and, and other classes as well. But I think for me early on, understanding that electives and classes like PE, I mean, they really do impact kids in the same way that kids are really good in science or math and they end up becoming engineers and physicists. Kids that uh, kids can just impact the world just as much by being really great athletes and deciding they want to be coaches and mentors to kids. And, and so the same with art. Like, I think the thing that always bugged me was, as far as classes went, I, I was horrible with grades. My grades were terrible. I graduated with a 2.7 GPA, and that was only because I was able to uh, muster a few extra art classes my senior year, which I got 100% in. So that'll tell you how bad my other grades were. But for some reason, art and other electives like band and whether it's ceramics or, or, or any other type of art-related class, it's frustrating to me that it's assumed that you're going to get an A just by showing up, but that doesn't apply to any other, any other classes. I don't, I've never understood that, you know, as if going into art or music is somehow less important of a career path as the others are. Your dad's a, a PE coach. He's a basketball coach. He's got the art kid. Right. You know, was there pressure from your from your dad to sort of like, hey, Jeremy, come on, I'm the basketball coach here. You need you need to work on that layup a little bit more as opposed to that fine penmanship or, you no. know, was anything like that? Yeah, no, never. My dad, you know, he enjoyed art or not art. I'm sorry. No, he's he, he's never enjoyed art. He enjoys watching me do art, but he's never done it himself. But he enjoyed sports growing up. He still loves he's a fan, but he never really played organized sports growing up. He played, you know, little league and played on on teams and stuff like that growing up, but never really made a college career out of it. Um, a lot of people assume that just because you're a basketball coach, it's because you were some kind of hotshot basketball player yourself. It was not my dad's case at all. Our family is gifted with short stature, and my dad, just like me, he looked like he was about 12 years old when he graduated from high school and would have never been able to compete at the high school level at all on the basketball court. But what I got from my dad was he has a mind for strategy that blows me away. There are games, especially card games, where you, where you can count cards and you can like remember every play that everybody else has made. He's brilliant at stuff like that. I can't. My brain just doesn't do that. But, what it, but, but the strategy side of me that has developed 
I think as his son has been stuff that I can use to help kind of help companies differentiate themselves from others. So it's more of a soft strategy that's a little more emotional than the hard strategy that my dad's able to. Like he can watch any game, whether it's football or baseball or basketball, whatever, and he can analyze it down to where it's a science and it just blows me away. I just totally, it's, it, it's amazing to me how he can do that. But he always encouraged me, and I think part of it's because, well, I'm his son, um, and it was pretty clear because of my grades that I wasn't going to really do much else. And he saw how much I loved it. So he just really encouraged me all along. I played basketball growing up elementary through middle school. I actually played my freshman year in high school. And then we moved back to Ohio where my dad was going to be going from a college coach coaching job back to coaching at high school. And I realized all of a sudden I was going to have to try out for one of his teams. And I knew at that point it just wasn't going to go any further. So I went to playing uh, tennis in high school after that, which I really love to play tennis. Yeah, that's interesting. The the trajectory that you know we have as as our parents' children that sometimes we feel, you know, or as parents perhaps we feel like our kids should follow in our footsteps. And you've obviously taken a very different path than than your dad. Talk to me a little bit about that moment you knew this is it for me this i can see that this is more than a hobby more than a passion i'm actually pretty good at it and i want to make a run at doing this you know as a career as as my form of vocation how i make money how did that moment come to you yeah i i didn't really think about that all that much i just did it it just was something that was a, such a part of who I was that I, you know, I took the, all the classes I could take. I drew as much as I possibly could growing up, and I used to build models. I was such a nerd. I built every Star Wars, Star Trek model you could buy, and I would just detail these things out and, and spray paint them. And like, I just loved building. I built. I created any opportunity I had. I used to build model rockets. I used to do all sorts of stuff like that. Just, and it was just an extension of like, man, that would be really fun, but. For me, when it came to like career and actually thinking about it, making a living, I was in high school and I think probably the first time I had ever considered it. I mean, I knew I was going to do something with art because I didn't have much else in my toolkit, but I just didn't know what it was going to be. There was a guy at my church who had grown up at the same school that I was at, who was a couple years older than me. And he approached me one, one week and he was just like, hey, uh, I've seen your art at the school and it's really, really good. Have you ever thought about graphic design? And I was just like, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. He basically said, well, it's, you know, it's, it's like art, but you can actually make a living doing it. And I was very interested in hearing more. So John basically found out he lived about four blocks from my parents' house and lived at home, went to Ohio State University, was an English major, and um, was basically paying his own way through college by designing bar calendars and event flyers. He was doing like CD covers and some stuff like that. And he had access to a Mac. And I didn't know, I really had never used a Mac before at that either. And so it just was really cool because, you know, I was a high school kid with no driver's license and a bike. And, um, he was a college kid that was working really hard to go to college and pay his way through college. So 
he basically invited me open invitation whenever you want. I'm, I'm going to be at my parents' house up in my bedroom every evening and I'm going to be doing one of two things. I'm either going to be working on design stuff on the Mac or I'm going to be studying for my paper, you know, for my classes at Ohio State. And he said, either way, you're welcome. So, you know, if I'm working on a project, you can sit and look over my shoulder and watch me design and I'll show you how it works. If you want to just play around with the computer, if I'm studying that evening, free reign, you know. And this is a kid, I mean, I grew up, this was 1990, probably 91, and no one in my family had a computer. We never had one growing up. The internet was, people were just starting to talk about it. It was really cool. It was such a foreign thing to me at the time. And this was a Mac Plus. It was a little beige box with probably, I'm guessing, about a six-inch monitor, black and white, no, no internal hard drive. And I was just amazed by it. I mean, it was really, really cool that you could draw like that on a computer. So um, he basically just gave me free reign. And I found myself over at John's house a lot, maybe more than he wanted me to be there. But we, we, we uh, started a really good friendship, and um, we're still friends today. And it was just, that was kind of what's really got me started on my career path was kind of like, oh, wow, this is, this is something attainable. Like I can take the skills that I have. And from that, I looked for every opportunity at my school. I did a lot of theater stuff. So went to the theater director and I said, can I do the posters that go up around school? Can I design the sweatshirts that, that the, the cast and the crew gets to wear? You know, and any opportunity, whether it was a school event or illustrations for the yearbook or whatever, I just took every opportunity I had and used my last few years of high school and, and really started to just apply myself, kind of taking that shift from fine art and drawing to start applying it in a more commercial way throughout the school, which was really cool to have that opportunity. It's an interesting story. So you, you've had this passion, this joy of design you know, from, from a, a young age. You've developed it. You've taken, as you just you know, laid out, a variety of different opportunities that you took. But at some point, it's got to be. There, there's consequence to this, right? You you go from th- th- taking the opportunities that are in front of you, doing what you do to learn, to give things away for free, doing them for, for your school, um, learning the trade, so to speak. But at some point, this becomes a commercial endeavor, where the stakes, I'm sure, are much higher with clients that you know, eventually you're going to pay. What's the challenge then in your, in your sort of development arc? Right now, your story sounds like, man, here we go. We got this guy that, that kind of knew what he wanted to do, pursued it, honed it, where every good story contains conflict. <laughs> Where's your conflict? Where, where did you, as a designer, question yourself, hit a roadblock, and then realize, man, something's got to give, something's got to change. I've got to up my game. What was that for you? That's a really good question. I, um, I think for me, the, the biggest first roadblock that was thrown up for me was college. We had a little bit of money saved, uh, that my parents had, that had set aside that basically could have paid for maybe a year or two, depending on where we decided to spend it. And I, um, I basically realized I was responsible for paying for the rest of my college. So right after high school, I just worked really hard. I worked at a bakery. I did little design odd jobs here, here and there. But I honestly, I was kind of looking towards getting that bachelor's degree to kind of prove that I knew what I was doing and that 
people would actually hire me because I had a piece of paper that would say that I knew what I was doing. So I kind of decided it was kind of time to just bide my time. Keep doing design stuff, keep doing stuff for your school, for your church, for organizations that you care about, you know, whatever. If you can pick up an odd job here or there where someone's willing to pay you for it, awesome. But really, I was going to school in the evenings and I was working at a bakery during the day and just trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Um, I had heard about a college out in Kettering called the School of Advertising Art. I went out and visited, um, and they were one of those schools that dollar per credit hour per in uh, the results uh, that they were getting as far as their graduates getting getting placed in jobs was really really great. And um, I I had always been in a small school, so I really loved that idea of kind of a small school. The idea of going to Ohio State just scared the pants off me. I would have. I would have, I could have done it, and now looking back, I, it doesn't scare me as much. But at the time, I probably would have. It was just seemed a little daunting. But um, so I went to, kept going to Columbus State. I kept cranking through. I ended up getting a scholarship to the School of Advertising Art. Had accepted it. Actually, found a apartment out there. It was basically an extra bedroom that someone was willing to let me rent, and I moved all my stuff out earlier in the summer. My dad, I remember we were sitting around the table one Sunday afternoon and he found a piece of paper, I found a, a ad in the paper saying that there was a local t-shirt company that needed designers. And he's like, why don't you consider this for your summer job? Go in an interview for it. And I, I it didn't say anything on it that it needed a college degree. So um, I took all of the stuff I had designed for those theater posters and t-shirts and stuff and put them into a, basically a portfolio. And I went in and I interviewed for the job and I got it. So I, I got my first job, like career job, with my high school portfolio, which looking back is, is pretty crazy to think about. So at that point, my hurdle changed. My hurdle changed because everything that I had thought I was going to do by the end of that summer, I realized because I had some very patient mentors that had basically said, look, you know, you're you're pretty far ahead of the curve at this point. I mean, I grew so much that summer working for this place. It was unbelievable. They didn't stick me in the back corner somewhere and tell me what to do. They gave me f creative control to do some really, really neat stuff and be willing to ask questions. And um, they were extremely patient. By the end of the summer, I, I mean, I can't tell you how much I learned. It was unbelievable. The, you know, from print to all of the aspects of screen printing and, and there's just so many things that you don't realize go into all of that. And the guy that I was working for at the time at the end of the summer said, you know, maybe you should consider calling the college and seeing if this is available for you next year because you've grown a lot and this job's op open for you beyond the summer if you want it. So at that point, I did a lot of soul searching and praying and asking other creatives in the, the, f in the field, like, do you, do you think this is a good idea? Do you think it's a good move? And all of them said, no, stick with that job. See where it takes you. So that was it. College kind of faded off into the background at that point because I went from there to being offered a job at a, uh, a company that did, that did uh, interactive work and video work and then on to another agency that did print work. So it just kind of went from there. But yeah, I, don't, I can't think of beyond that. I can't think of many like hurdles or, or walls that came up. Every job that I had from that point, I wasn't actively looking for something else. It kind of found me. So, so, so your path is a little 
unconventional in the terms that we think of professional development. We are sort of conditioned, you know, you've got to go to college, you've got to be credentialed, then you get your opportunity. Yours kind of came differently and you inevitably didn't need the college degree. Do you find that to be um, a barrier where you are today? I mean, you're successful, obviously, but even in the earlier parts of your career, when people, if they, if they would ask you, hey, where did you go to school? Was that ever a problem for you? I had one job interview that I went into, and I remember it really clearly. It was the only job I actually went and interviewed for, and I'm not sure why I did. I, don't, I, I think they actually may have contacted me and asked me to come in and meet with their HR person and interview. So I went in, and I went through this thing, and I showed my portfolio, and I answered all the questions right, and they started showing, sharing me all the information about their benefits package and all this crazy stuff, um, asked me when I could start, and all of that. And then right before I was getting ready to leave, she handed me a questionnaire to fill out. And one of the questions were, where did you get your degree from? And I just wrote none. I slid the paper back across the desk and she looked at it and she said, whoa, what's this? And I was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, well, you didn't go to college for this? And I said, no. And she said, why do you think that we should pay you this kind of money to take this job? And, and I just said, well, because you just interviewed me, you saw my work you see my experience like why wouldn't you give me this job and it was really clear that at that point the interview was over and walking out of there I realized I don't want to work for this place anyways so it ended up being a really good thing but honestly I've never I, I tell a lot of designers this even college graduates this the most difficult job you'll get is the first job and honestly just accept whichever just don't get too picky just accept a job if it's in your field just take it because that's the hardest job you'll get. Once you've worked in the field for a little bit, you can move anywhere you want. But what people want is they want to know that you have experience. And um, once you have experience, college just goes out the window. Nobody cares. What's it like, you know, Jeremy Slagle on his own, Slagle Design, what's it like being your own boss? Is, is it what you thought it would be? Is it different? Is it, is it better? What is it about pursuing this joy of creativity that you had and now being able to do it on your own terms to some degree? Obviously, you take or decline the clients that you want to work with. Is this the pinnacle for you? Or I, talk to me about where you are in terms of running your own shop. So I never really set out to run my own shop. So I guess the question of, was it harder than I thought it would be? I didn't really know. I didn't really think what it would be. So um, it was something that kind of happened overnight very quickly and was kind of like, well, let's try this out. And in some ways, so this November, um, almost at seven years uh, having been out on my own now, it has been the most exciting, frightening, depressing, exciting. I can't, the words, it's every gamut of every emotion. I can't explain. There are times when I feel like I'm on top of the world and other times when I feel like 
I should be curled up in the corner in the fetal position, rocking back and forth, <laughs> because I find that for myself, like as much as I try to not live in the moment, I find that one of my, I don't know if it's a character flaw or not, it probably is, but I find myself living in the moment. However, I happen to feel at any given moment is I project it onto my entire future. So if business is going really, really well, and then I'm, I'm on top of the world, if things are slow and I feel like I don't know what, what's coming up for the next month, I panic. And if I have more work than I can handle, I feel like I'm so overwhelmed and I don't know how I'm ever going to keep up with all of it. So I don't know why that is, but I tend to, I, yeah, it's, it is, it's when I, every once in a while I'll have a meeting like downtown during rush hour. And I, one of the things I think that really shows with a lot of clarity, like where I am today, it's really hard to see beyond yourself sometimes, but when you're sitting in traffic on the freeway, surrounded by a bunch of other professionals that are going to their jobs, where they're going to work, you know, at a, a desk with a computer and staff meetings and all the stuff that comes along with working like that. I just am so thankful because I'm not having to do that. I'm just so like being able to work for yourself, the freedom that it brings is really, really cool. The amount of responsibility that it brings is sometimes daunting. You, primarily you know work alone you partner obviously with other folks but you know it's it, this is your baby right and to harken back to the earlier part of the conversation where you were learning how to draw on a on a six inch screen mac compared to the the ipad pro or whatever the tools that say the next generations of designers have coming in how do you stay grounded but also relevant right i mean you're you've got you know, a bunch of young professionals coming up that have tools that you never had. How do you stay atop your game when it's just you? Where, where do you turn? Where do you look to for inspiration? How do you collaborate? How do you continue to develop the skill set that you have? So when you are in that car driving downtown, you don't feel like, man, at some point that's got to be me. I'm going to have to get another job. I can't keep doing this. The younger talent is going to swallow me whole. They know more than me. How do you, how do you how do you keep pace with change and keep pace with where design is going and the tools that need to be used? So now you're scaring me. So, <laughs> well, that's so, not the intent. So now, right? I'm, now I'm going upstairs. I'm going to get in the fetal position and rock back and forth for a little while. Um, I, I don't know. I, one of the things that, a little bit more backstory is John and I ended up starting an agency together. And John owned it. I jumped ship on the job that I had had that I was very happy at, but um, was super excited about joining John on this venture. And um, it was really awesome. That the, the company that we ran was called Element. And we, we did really solid visual branding work um, with, with a good amount of strategy behind it. But one of the things we found out early on, there's all these international, national publications like How, and Communication Arts, and Critique Magazine, and all these really great design mag magazines that do annuals every year. And you know, you spend hundreds, if not a thousand of thousands of dollars submitting your best work for these things. And um, we found over and over again that we just did not ever make it into one of these magazines. 
On the other hand, Rockport Publishing, there's some other companies that do these nice, beautiful, hardbound books that, that you can find at any Barnes & Noble's. They catalog good work. And we were getting stuff in those left and right. And I started to really think about it. And part of it was, the difference was, is that I believe when they were curating the work for communication arts and all that, they were really looking for what is it that really, really says like 2016. Like somebody looks back at this magazine 20 years ago. This is like, you know, the most forward thinking stuff that was happening in 2016. And I realized that the stuff that we did had a really long shelf life. Um, we tend to be a little more pure about the branding stuff that we did and nothing. And I still think this happens today. The, the books, the, the hardback books that picked up our work, were picking it up left and right because they wanted something that could sit on the shelf for a really long time and still be relevant. And so, you know, I feel pretty confident because I feel like the design work that I do is simple and relevant. I'm not the kind of person that's trying to chase what's happening this year or feeling like feeling any obligation to do that. It's pretty simple what I do from a technology standpoint. When it comes to things like ever-changing stuff like technology, when it comes to internet, applications, that would frighten me a little bit more, I think, if I lived in that world because it does change so often. But honestly, like the software that I use today isn't that much different than it was in the mid nineties, you have, you have new features and it makes things easier, but hopefully, I mean, unless like computers become completely obsolete and the next big thing happens, which could happen, uh, I suppose, I think I'll probably be set for being able to kind of do what I do for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, when it comes to the technology stuff, I really rely on partners that can do that stuff for me. Yeah. So so you said you're seven years in, you know, with Slagle Design on your own. What's your biggest challenge? What do you, you know, you kind of gave us the um, the euphoria meets anxiety living in the moment scenario, but, you know, just sort of day to day, what what's your biggest challenge as a designer that, or, you know, or even less so as a designer, but as an entrepreneur, you know, a guy that's out on his own, somebody else that, might be able to relate to, you know, your struggles if they're doing something totally different. What, what's your biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge, and I, and I don't think this is just specific to designers. I think it's specific to anybody that does, you know, that works hard at what they do. Most people can tell you what a gallon of milk should cost or a gallon of gasoline, you know, or a, a, a Coke from a vending machine. But almost nobody ever hires someone to design a brand for them. I mean, very few people in their lives ever hire a graphic designer to create a brand for them. So I get a lot because my Google ranking is really high. And if you Google, you know, logos on, on the internet, you will find a million places that will sell you, you know, a logo for $300 or less, $5, some of them, with a guarantee that you're going to love everything or your money back. Clearly, these are people that aren't going through the right processes to get it done, but they're there. And so with the internet, one of the things that's been great is it's given me good exposure. But the frustrating part is that I am many times in other people's minds competing for that $300 logo, which I, just, which I don't do. 
So I would say probably the most frustrating part of my job right now, it's also the most rewarding part when I find the right people, is when you find someone who truly, the, the hardest part is, is finding people that truly value what you do. The most gratifying part is when you do find somebody who values what you do and you are able to do really awesome stuff for them. And so I, I think that's probably it. Is, and I think most people in their jobs feel like they're misunderstood or maybe people don't value what they do. It's like any job. As soon as you find that, whoever it is, whether you're an accountant or a lawyer or a mechanic, whatever, when you find that customer that really values what you do because it's something they can't do and they recognize you're a specialist at what you do, it's a great experience. And it's something I've tried to do in my own life is when I find people that are really good at what they do, I don't shop around for the cheapest. I try to find the best and the people that find the most joy in what they do um, and help them understand very clearly that I really, really value what they do for me. My accountant is one of them and he I've probably referred 25 or 30 people to him because he's amazing at what he does and he just shows so much joy in doing it and anybody that can show joy in doing stuff with numbers is a hero in my in my book anyways but yeah I mean I was just talking to my my lawyer the other day and and uh, he mentioned something at the end of the conversation and he said something like um, so I just want to let you know my hourly rate is $175 an hour and I said well that seems reasonable and he laughed really hard and he said, you know, it's funny. He said, people that have used lawyers in the past, that's the response I get every time. You know, that's really reasonable. People have never hired an attorney before uh, think that I'm trying to take them for all they're worth. And that's just, I think that's, that's it. It's another thing. Most people never have to hire a lawyer. And when it comes to, to certain things like that, it's like, it's hard. It's hard, especially when you've got, you know, I'm sure he probably looks at LegalZoom.com and places like that where you can get your will done online for free or, you know, for $100 or something like that. You know, I think a lot of people, whatever they do is they're, they're coming up against whether it's technology or outsourcing or something like that that's undercutting and trying to, like, mass produce work for people when, um, you know, like with what you do and with what I do, it's one of those things where it's like you better make sure that who you're working with is a good match for you and is a strategic partner and that you're moving in the same direction. Yeah. So, um, obviously, you know, what you and I are talking about is joy, right? And, and you know, real, real joy in what you do and joy. We talk about it. It's, it's more than happiness. It's more than just this feeling. So I have to believe that not every job that you get is joyful. And there is a, a moment where you've, you know, it's like, ah, I can't wait for this job to be over. Right. I mean, I think we all have those. Never. Right? Uh, yeah. No, that's right. We never, never have those. No. Um, so, you know, you, you hit a spate of those where what you thought was going to be good work or rewarding work or a great client just isn't that right. How do you still find joy in what you do? That's really hard. <laughs> It's hard. Um, I you can ask my wife. I will lay in bed, and I will replay situations over in my head, and I'll usually end up getting up and not being able to sleep that night. You know, it hasn't happened often, but there have been times where I've been put in a really weird or bad situation, and I do my best working with clients to help 
try to have to make sure that we can not run into those situations. But at times, there's just difficult people you end up working with. And yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I wish I had the solution to that. But I think the thing that I've realized is, and I think part of it is that time has given it a little bit of perspective. But if I look back over the last seven years and I think of the things where I ran into a difficult situation and we had to, you know, as difficult as it can be, work through the problem, once they're settled, I don't even think about it anymore. So it usually ends up being a very temporary thing. And, you know, like I was saying before, when I'm in, I tend to be one of those people that when I'm in the thick of it, it's all I can see. So I think for me, it's just kind of giving myself a little perspective and saying, you know, Jeremy, this is temporary. Like everybody that you're working with is really, really amazing. And this is one, this is one situation where it's just, it's just not working out. And so get through it, do your best, be honest, get some sleep, (laughs) do what you can to get through the situation. But recognize that it's temporary and it's not painting your entire career with one broad brush of what's going on right now. And that's something I have to work through. I think that that's, you know, really sound advice. I think when we, we talk about joy and finding your joy, that, that the misinterpretation is that you're not going to encounter struggle. Mm, no. Anything that's worth doing is, is going to bring you some frustration sometimes yeah so what do you do to encourage others knowing that they're going to hit a rough spot knowing that they're hey this isn't easy but if this is who you were created to be and if this is the passion the joy that burns in you how do you spread the joy that you've had so that it may be contagious for others to say you know what I totally get what Jeremy's doing. I need to do the same thing for me, which is going down this path. What what do you do? do How do you spread your joy? There's a lot of people that are, that were in my shoes before I started out on my own. But, you know, I always thought that I was going to retire at our agency. Like it never really crossed my mind. But I think most designers at some point in time in their lives they start working on a side project. They're doing freelance work here and there, and they start to realize, man, if I could do this full time, I could probably make a go at it. And so I meet with a lot of people that have been in agency world for you know, many years. They're senior level. They're starting to realize that they're doing less creative, and they're starting to do more you know, management type stuff, which they don't want to do. And so I try to just encourage them, totally do this, and here's some really great stuff that I've learned over the last few years that has really helped me out a lot. And just, I think for me, just to help people understand like, you know, any job, whether you're working in a house at an agency or you're working for yourself, there's going to be times that are super frustrating. It's just the way it's going to be because humans are humans and it's just the way it is. But I think for me to just, as far as spreading my joy, it's like, I think part of it is, is, being able to talk with people about the hard stuff. I get calls from people that are in my shoes all the time and they're, and they'll just tell me their story, like what they're dealing with. And I do the same thing. I call other designers all the time or other people that are in my field and say like, I'm stuck. This client is doing X, Y, and Z. And have you had this problem before and how did you handle it? And I think for me, like just being collaborative about stuff like that, being very open and transparent about it and helping other people try to work through stuff like that. 
I always find it's easier for me to look at other people's situations very objectively when I look at my own stuff very emotionally. So, you know, sometimes I'll call, whether it's you or, you know, another one of my creative partners and say, help talk me down off the ledge right now because I, I can't see past what's going on right now. And it's very, very frustrating. And so I think just having a community of people that are able to have those kind of conversations, use each other as references, talk with each other about how to get through difficult stuff like that. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I think it does. And it kind of leads to what we're doing here right now. Why did you want to start Joy Venture? I, I, I think I know, <laughs> but I hope you know, so. for, the, for the sake of others, you know, why, why are we doing this? Why are you doing this and inviting me in to join you? Yeah. One of the things that um, I love to do is, you know, this John, the same John we talked about earlier, um, started a project and it grew into his full-time career. And he now runs 32 or 34. It's a lot. It's 30. It's in the 30s orphan homes in Cambodia, Thailand, and India. And um, it's been really cool for me because um, since I've been out on my own, I've been able to have the flexibility to take trips over there. I drug you along on one of the trips. And we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But it became something that was a real like pivotal part point in my life when I had a chance to go over and spend time with the orphan kids in Cambodia. The way John has structured his organization is, it's, is it is crucial that the people that are involved have an opportunity to share in the joy of that organization the opportunity to go over and create relationships with the kids there and really see who they're serving and who they're, who they've really um, are impacting the lives they are impacting. And that to me is really inspiring. Um, and, and so I took a trip last summer. I go, I've gone for the last five years. I've now become uh, basically a travel uh my kids hate it when I say this, but I'm, I'm tour guide Barbie for Asia's Hope for our church. And uh, I take groups over and I schedule all the events and all that stuff. And the, the best part about it in some ways is that, um, you know, I, I'm able to walk away from my work for, you know, sometimes up to a month and not even think about work. And so when I come back on this last trip, when I came back, I looked at the work on my desk, you know, I was gone for about three weeks. I came back, I sat down at my desk for the first time. All of a sudden I'm having to switch my brain back over into, okay, you're a graphic designer again, you're not a tour guide. And, and so I kind of looked at my list of work and I thought some of this stuff is like, I'm not sure why I'm working on this. It's not, it's not the kind of stuff I really want to be doing and I don't feel like I'm really a good fit for it. And I, I really kind of stepped back and I pulled out a sheet of paper and I, over the last like seven years, I wrote down all of the clients that I have really enjoyed working with. And by enjoyed, I mean, we were really collaborative. Um, the work paid for itself many times over with the client, the client at the end of the day. Um, it was an integral part of their business development. And, and those clients would say that they probably wouldn't be where they are today with their business had it not been for our collaboration and our project, um, which is just super exciting for me. But I noticed that there was a thread 
that ran through all of the ones that I put on that list. And all every single one of them were people who took, whether it was their hobby or that thing that they just couldn't help but do, and many of them at great cost to themselves by whether it's emptying their bank account or asking their family to, to pitch in or whatever it happened to be, they decided to go out and start their own business. And every single one of those situations, it was because they had found joy in something, something that really brought them unbelievable joy. And they've been so successful. They've been a huge part of my life, just being able to watch them, you know, open their first location, open their second location, open their third location, hire employees, show up in the news, um, you know, become many of them becoming local and national spokespeople for their for what they do. Um, it just really, really excites me. But there was that one thread that ran through all of them. They all discovered their joy somewhere along the way. They developed that joy. Um, many of them just did it in their own kitchens or they did it in their own homes or they did it somewhere. They just they couldn't help but do it. And then they came to me and they said, we really want to spread this. Like, we want to share this. We can't help but share this joy. And so it, it ended up resonating with my own story as well. So that's really where Joy Venture came from. You know, I just turned 42 years old this year. And um, I kind of looked into the future and I said, how is it that I can work with the kind of people I really want to work with? How do I help people understand that these kind of connections and these kind of people are the are the are really successful projects how do i kind of curate and work through you know as a you know rather than just cold calling or sending stuff out like how do i find other people that resonate with this message um so i talking with you about it decided let's let's try something let's try something where we can help people that are whether they're entrepreneurs or creatives or whoever that have connected with their joy or maybe they're trying to find it to connect and just like tell their stories, you know, and hopefully, and I mean, this is, may sound a little selfish, but I'd love to work with some of them at some point in time. That's not the purpose of this, but, you know, ultimately any way that we can help each other out, whether it's through a podcast or a blog post or interviewing other people and sharing their stories, that's really what this is. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think the, you know, when you mentioned this to me, the real purpose here is, look, you've, you figured something else out that others are yet to figure out. And only by sharing do we have that opportunity to sort of ignite those individuals, to encourage them, nudge them forward, if you will. So yeah, I think the real exciting thing is um, some of those people that you mentioned, the thread that is there, we're gonna get to talk to them here on Joy Venture, which is gonna be, I think, really exciting to get to hear these stories um, and, and, and see where it goes from there. And you know, what other people that we meet along the way, because it is, it is the ordinary person that goes to great length, great risk to do something extraordinary. And extraordinary may not be opening 32 or 34 orphan homes around the world, but it may be opening a shop down at the, you know, the end of the street. Mm -hmm. and, and that's an extraordinary accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing is working with the people that I've had an opportunity to work with, it, what's been so refreshing is it's so atypical of the what, what we consider business or corporations today. I mean, when people think, you know, the word corporation has somehow become a really horrible, bad word in the United States today. And I'm sure Enron and 
and other situations have definitely caused that, whether it's corporate greed or corporate, you know, add any other word to the end of that. It's usually not a positive thing. But there's something about, you know, somebody who discovers how much they love pretzels and they can and they bring the recipe back home from Germany and they share it with their family and it ends up becoming their like their business in their life you know like there's just something really cool about that you know and being able to work with the people that are those business owners um, you know you and I've had opportunity to work with them we like to work with more of them but I, I love working with folks who just are passionate you know and if you work with a big corporation which I've done as well you know you're typically working with a boardroom of people who were at Corporation A, currently they're at Corporation B. Next month they may be at Corporation C. But they really lack, you know, they're looking at the numbers. They're trying to make the shareholders happy. They're trying to figure out strategically what to do with this business and sell widgets. But none of them are as passionate about the product as a small business owner is in the way they want to do their job. And those are the people I like to work with. Indeed. No, I couldn't agree more. Jeremy, thank you for sharing a bit of your story, man. This is great stuff. I, you know, I always learn something new each time we talk. There's always another tidbit or uh, you know piece of information that just you know continues to reveal more and more of the story. So thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. To see the results of the collaboration that Jeremy finds so much joy, in, you can check out his design, illustration, and photography at SlagleDesign.com. To hear more podcasts or read our posts that are meant to nudge the dreamer in all of us to become the doer we were all meant to be, visit us at joyventure.net. And if you're discovering or developing your joy, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, remember, never stop discovering. Thanks for listening.